Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Today we do begin a new teaching series, It's Okay to Not Be Okay. And that uh, reading from that psalm gives us a good hint at where we're going together. Throughout the summer, we're gonna be looking at different psalms and we're going to get a, a good glimpse into how God gives us permission as his children to process some of the turmoil and the trials and the struggles that we go through in this life. It's interesting that in the book of Psalms, you have the great psalmist David who writes the majority of the Psalms and how he expresses his heart and how he gives his heart to the Lord in his frustration, in his sadness, in times of hopelessness, and how it was okay for him not to be okay. And that was the starting point for where God wanted to meet him and provide healing and hope. You know, we've been through a lot in the last couple of years. Even if you go back to the fall of 2018 with the shooting and then the fires and then early in 2020, COVID and the shutdowns, the lockdowns and the political polarization and protests and, and division and strife. And then, of course, even in just over 100 days ago when Russia invaded Ukraine, another kind of pressure point on us as we watched the world change before our eyes. And then, of course, the economic turmoil. I filled my car up with gas yesterday and was shocked by the number that came up, uh, even at Costco, and how the price that came up. And we know inflation and gas prices are causing a lot of stress, a lot of pressure on families and individuals. We're at a stage uh, as human beings at this point in human history where there's a lot of stress. And that has created a lot of mental health issues. And so I just want to share with you some of the statistics I've come across recently regarding the mental health that we face in our world today. Over the last two years, depression and anxiety worldwide have increased 25%. During the first seven months of lockdown in 2020, U.S. hospitals experienced a 24% increase in mental health-related emergency visits for children ages 5 to 11, and a 31% increase for those aged 12 to 17. 45% of parents with children under age 18 in their homes indicate that their own mental health has deteriorated rapidly in the last two years. 36% of all Americans, including 61% of young adults, those who are connected with texting and Instagram and all the different ways of being connected, 61% of young adults and 51% of mothers with young children feel serious loneliness. Our nation has seen a dramatic increase in drug and alcohol consumption and addiction in the last two years. 38% of American adults say they currently suffer from unresolved and debilitating grief regarding the death of a loved one compared to 13% prior to COVID. 
Suicide is now tied with car crashes as a leading cause of death among adolescents and young adults. And I could share with you more and more statistics about how there is a mental health crisis in our world, in our nation, and in our community. Now you add to this all of the pressures we faced in our world that we share commonly. You add to that the pressures that we face in our own homes and our own lives. Some of you have come in here heavy-hearted because there's something going on in your marriage, your family. There, there is stress at work. Maybe you've got some financial things that are hitting you hard with the inflation that we're seeing and the gas prices that are climbing. Maybe there's uncertainty on the horizon regarding your health or the health of someone you love. Maybe you've seen someone you cared about deeply step into eternity in the last few months or the last few years. And perhaps you come in with your own things that cause turmoil in your heart and your life. Throughout this series, we're going to emphasize it's okay when we're in grief. It's okay when we're lonely. It's okay when we're struggling with thoughts of suicide, and it's okay when we're dealing with addiction and alcoholism, it's okay when we're dealing with doubt and fear and anxiety and depression, to not be okay and admit that before God and reach out to others and admit that before them. It's okay to not be okay. If you open your Bibles to Psalm 13, Psalm chapter 13, we're gonna read one of the Psalms of David it's only six verses. You can, of course, go there in your hard copy of the Bible, but if you've got a mobile app or you just want to Google Psalm chapter 13, verses 1 through 6, join me there in a moment. As we look at this passage and as we launch this series, I want us to understand this. If you let him, God will meet you and sit with you in your deepest turmoil, and he will give you glimpses of hope before your turmoil ends. See, as you give yourself space, to groan, you give yourself space to hurt, you give yourself space to struggle, God will meet you in that and he will begin the process of hope and healing in your life even in the midst of that turmoil, even before it ends. One of the real key things we have to understand as we look at it's okay not to be okay, you must give yourself some space to struggle before you can give God some space to work. You have to kind of be honest with yourself and honest with God and at times honest with others about where you really are. There is this pocket in Christianity that thinks we should never be sad, we should never struggle. The world needs to see a, a, a plastic smile, a happy, clappy Christianity, and that's what God wants us to be. No. God wants to meet us where we are, and he wants to bring hope and healing in the midst of that so that we can have genuine joy and peace that only comes from him. You must give yourself some space to struggle before you can give God some space to work. And the psalmist does that. As we read these six verses, I think you'll see both his willingness to give himself space to struggle and his willingness to give God space to work even in his struggle. Let's look at verse one of Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise. For he has been good to me. 
In the midst of his turmoil, David cries out to God. And in the first part of this passage, we sense there's, there's a place where it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be in a, a spot of struggling. It's okay to bring that before the Lord and pour your heart out before him. And David was a man after God's own heart. Some critics of Scripture say the Scriptures must have been written by human beings because look at all the emotions in the Psalms. Look at just the, 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 the bold face, emotional despair these people are in. And, and if God had written it, he wouldn't have put that stuff in there. But then if God hadn't put that in there under the direction of the Spirit of God, they would have said, oh, you see, the Bible is so sterile, it really doesn't deal with human need and human problems and human struggle. And yet God's Word meets us in real life. And Psalm 13 helps us understand David's own struggle with turmoil in his own life and how he gives himself, first of all, in verses 1 through, fi- one through 4, he gives himself space to struggle. And that's what I want us to see first in verses 1 through 4. It's okay to give yourself some space to struggle. It's okay not to rush on and say, I've got to be happy before a certain time today or I've got to have a complete smile in front of these people or I've got to put on this outward appearance. It's okay to give yourself some space to struggle. And with the psalmist, it begins with frustration. Frustration is when your suffering seems endless. There seems to be no end in sight to what you're going through, to the feeling you're experiencing, to the turmoil in your life. You just are frustrated. Notice he says four times here, how long, Lord, how long, how long? Some of you perhaps have been going something now for days, or maybe it just came up yesterday that you're worried about the future. For some of you, it's been weeks of asking God, how long are we gonna go through this? For others, it's been months, and some it's years, and for some of us, maybe there's something we've been grappling with and struggling with for decades. How long is the cry of his heart? There's frustration that comes from him. And I think there are five feelings that, that David expresses in his frustration, and we need to know it's okay to express this kind of frustration to God. First of all, There is this feeling in our frustration that we've been forgotten by God, that we've been forgotten by God. Verse one, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? God promises his children, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never forget you. But in our life circumstances, we can feel like somehow God has abandoned us, that God is missing, that he's gone AWOL, that he's forgotten us. I love how someone has put it, God's silence in your life does not confirm his absence from your life. Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's absent. But it's okay in your frustration to say, God, how long are you gonna forget me to express that feeling to him? Secondly, in our frustration, it's okay to express this feeling that we've been robbed of God's blessing. Some of you maybe can look back and you say, okay, there was some blessing there, some blessing there, I was expecting this, I was expecting this, I've walked in obedience, I've trusted God, I've prayed, I've done these things, but now I don't think the blessing I deserve or the blessing that I felt God promised me is coming into my life. He says in the last part of verse one here, David cries out, how long will you hide your face from me? In the scriptures, when God's face is smiling or shining on you, that speaks of blessing. When God's face is not smiling or shining on you, that speaks of a lack of blessing. And there are times where we feel like we're, we're missing out on something. Maybe others have the blessing that we want and others are seeing God's goodness and we don't seem to be experiencing it. It's okay to express to God your frustration in, in that space you give yourself to struggle. 
that you're missing out on and being robbed of God's blessing. Thirdly, it's okay in your frustration to feel agitated by frantic thinking. To feel agitated by frantic thinking. In the first part of verse 2, he again asks, How long, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? How, How long do I have to be trapped in my head? All of us have probably been at some point where there's some trial, some stress, some, something that's overwhelming us, something that has happened, something we're worried about, some fear we have, some sense of loneliness or anxiety where, where we, just, we just are so onto that thing, that thing that's happening at work, that thing that's happening at home, that thing that's happening to our kids or our grandkids, and, and we sit down to type out an email and you know, 20 minutes later we're still staring because our minds are frantically thinking over that problem and that, that struggle. It's okay to say to God, my mind won't quit. I'm, I'm constantly wrestling with my thoughts. It's just a part of the frustration. When our suffering seems endless, no end in sight. Fourthly, it's okay in our frustration to express to God that we feel overwhelmed by deep sadness. We feel overwhelmed by deep sadness. Some of you perhaps came in here with sadness in your life, and maybe it's gotten deep into your heart, second part of verse two, and day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long, Lord, do I have to have sorrow in my heart? He doesn't say sorrow in my mouth, my thoughts, my experience. He says in my heart. It speaks of deep-rooted sadness and sorrow. It's okay to say to God, I'm overwhelmed by deep sadness. This is frustrating, Lord. I, I don't think I should be experiencing this as your child. I, I've tried to walk with you. I know you. I'm, and why am I experiencing these deep-pocketed places of deep sadness in my heart? Fifth and finally in our frustration, it's okay to give ourselves some space to struggle in that we feel crushed by what others think. Somehow in this world, we're, we're so competitive and and we think of winning and victory and, and having defeat or, or success. And we're so captured by that. And there's, there's something healthy and good about some of that. Some of that God built into us. But there are times that we, we, we so care about what others think and how others perceive us. And he says in the last part of, of verse 2, How long will my enemy triumph over me? How long will I be seen as a loser? Remember, David had been anointed to be the next king, and he had been on the run from his father-in-law, King Saul. It didn't make sense. If, if I'm supposed to replace him, why is he trying to kill me? And, and there were years where David was just feeling like he had lost, and somehow Saul had won. And it would be years before God would fulfill his promise to him that he would be the next king of Israel. And he many times expresses that frustration that it feels like he's the loser, he's He's suffering defeat. The reality is that when we know Christ and we know Christ as our Savior and Lord, Jesus himself said we are already on the side of victory. We already have the victory in his death, burial, and resurrection. He conquered anything that could ever harm us. And we are victorious in Christ. We are overcomers in him. And yet, in our turmoil, in our burdens of life, in our struggle, we can feel like we've been defeated or that our 
enemies have the advantage or what others think kind of they they must not think I'm spiritual enough because I'm going through this or we've faced that or this has hit into our family and we get crushed by what others think you know the Lord Jesus himself said this is not about winning this is not about gaining power This is not about getting control. He says his kingdom is actually a kingdom that doesn't operate that way. It serves everyone, and in serving everyone, it turns the world upside down. It's not about winning or losing. You're already winners in Christ. Last week, we talked about that as Pastor Brian Howard and I finished up the series in Ephesians and looked back at that wonderful book of grace. We talked about how ultimately, when we have the grace of God, we are victorious, And we're not trying to prove anything or win anything or beat anyone. We talked about, even in the political world, how it's dangerous for us as Christians to think if we get power, then we can change things. And Jesus said, no, that's not the way it's going to happen. We shared with you a book by Pastor Andy Stanley called Not In It to Win It, Why Choosing Sides Sidelines the Church. And we mentioned that we had a copy for every household here at Calvary. If you're a single person or a couple or a family, you could get a copy and Hopefully you got that and began to read that. Maybe God began to just show you how it's not about winning or losing or who crushes us or who we crush. It's about living out the love and life of Christ and serving. And that will turn the world upside down. And if you didn't get that book, we've got some available at our our, uh, reception counter out there in the lobby. You You can pick up a copy if you did not get one. Again, one per family, one per household, I should say. And then uh, we've got hundreds more coming that we'll make available next week for those who still haven't gotten them. And some of you, I know, maybe got it on Audible or Kindle and you like it that way. But just remember, you're already victorious in Christ. We're not trying to defeat or beat anyone. And we've got to be careful to think others have somehow crushed us. But it's okay when we feel that way to express that frustration and feeling to God. So the psalmist cries out in frustration, but he also moves from frustration in verses one and two to desperation in verses three and four. Desperation. It's okay in that space in which you struggle to be frustrated, to express that to God, to express these various feelings to God, but it's also okay to express your desperation to God. Verse three says, look on me and answer, Lord. Give me light. There are three imperatives here. Look, answer, give light, give. These imperatives in the original Hebrew in which the Old Testament are written are unique imperatives. There are two ways to communicate a command or an imperative in the Hebrew Old Testament. One way is with a sense of urgency, a command that says, do it now, now is the time, do it with urgency. But there is another form or another stem of this Hebrew word that when it is used implies not urgency, but desperation. And David uses that form here. And so out of desperation, he says, look on me. I need you to look on me. I need you to answer my cry. I need you to give light to my eyes. What does that mean? I need you to give me a little glimpse of hope in the midst of this darkness. Anybody ever feel like David feels here, the first part of chapter three? Anybody ever feel like, Lord, look at me, answer me, I'm desperate. Give me just a little glimpse of hope. It's okay to express your desperation. Desperation is when your options seem hopeless. 
It's not just that there's no end in sight, but there's no way out. You feel trapped. You feel hemmed in by your circumstances, by your feelings, your emotions. You feel desperate. And when you get to this place, then like David, death seems more likely than life. Or I will sleep in death. He says at the last part of verse three, when you get to this place of desperation, defeat seems more likely than victory, even though you're already victorious. He says, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. It's okay to give yourself some space to struggle, to express your frustration to God, that things feel endless, to express your desperation to God. Things feel hopeless. Again, we, we tend to, in modern Christianity, in American Christianity, think we've got to rush to some smile on our face and make sure everybody knows we're okay, we're okay, and there's some plastic smile. God wants to give us a deep joy and a sense of peace, not some phony external happiness. You know, uh, in the Old Testament, there's a great story, the story of Job who suffered so much, he lost all of his wealth, a very wealthy man, it was all wiped out in an instant. He lost his children, his grandchildren, wonderful family, all wiped out in an instant. He, he's lost his own health to the point he's covered in boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, and he's in such agony, he's taking pieces of pottery and he's scraping the boils to pop them to give himself some relief, and he's sitting in a heap of ashes so there'd be some cushion to relieve him of the pressure of these painful boils. And he's sitting there in his own struggle and I just want to remind you, it's okay to not be okay in what you're going through. To acknowledge that and be honest to yourself and to be honest before God. It's also okay to acknowledge that with your spouse, your family, with your friends, your fellow believers, to, to share that with a, a pastor in counsel or perhaps professional counseling to help you through what you're going through. It's okay. As Job is sitting there, a handful of his friends show up. And we read in the first couple of chapters of Job that for the first few days they just sat there and they said absolutely nothing. They just cried with him. They groaned with him. They were just present with him for seven days. And they were at their best when they didn't open their mouths. Now, for some of us, especially in this area here of Westlake Village, Thousand Oaks, a lot of type A's, I'm a type A, when someone presents a problem to me, I want to zoom in and fix it. I want to see a smile on their face so I can move on. But let me just say to some of us who have folks in our family or folks that we know in our small group or our ministry team or a neighbor or someone going through some stuff, sometimes you just have to sit with them and keep your mouth shut and allow them to have space to struggle with you there for them. And you could have a deep ministry. When these guys started talking, it's like 38 more chapters of these guys talking. And they're blaming, and they're pointing a finger, and their theology's all messed up, and their help is all messed up, and they're not helping at all, and God has to step in at the end and bring a resolution to all of this. But we need to be willing to let ourselves know it's okay not to be okay. 
when you're going through the cancer treatments, when you're dealing with the business, when you're dealing with the finances, when you're dealing with that work thing, when you're struggling through whatever you're going through, whatever you're seeing on the news, you're grappling with the gas prices, you're still heavy-hearted because of what you see happening in Ukraine. When you, when you think about COVID, when you think about the polarization in our country, it could be very heavy. It's okay not to be okay and to express your frustration to God that it seems endless, to express your desperation to God that it seems hopeless. But then you got to move to the next stage. We'll see this throughout the Psalms. David intentionally expresses his heart. He takes time to give himself space to struggle. But then it's okay to give God some space to work. Some people, they get to this point and they just sit here like this. I am so frustrated and desperate. I'm not letting you do anything, God. Or we just sit there and say, I, I'm, God's got to take the first step. But David always, when he expresses his frustration to God, he takes baby steps takes a slight turn, takes baby steps toward God, and he turns his face toward God. Notice he, he says in, in verse five, but, this is all true, I've expressed my heart, I'm sitting here in my struggle, I've tried to express it to others, and I've been there when others are expressing it, but, we move beyond, it's okay to give ourselves some space to struggle, and we understand it's okay to give God some space to work. And the first way to do that is you take the baby step of trusting him even when you don't feel like it. Trusting him even when you don't feel like it. Why would you do that? In your frustration and desperation, you don't feel like trusting God. First of all, because God's love for you will never stop. He says, but, turns his face toward God, takes baby steps toward God, I will trust in your unfailing love. My favorite word in Hebrew in the Old Testament is the word that is two words here in English, unfailing love. In Hebrew, it's chesed. Chesed. It means, un, it means faithful, unending, uninterrupted, continuous, unstoppable love. It speaks of God's unconditional love that can never be taken away from us. And David says, all of this is true, all of these emotions, all of these feelings, all this frustration, all this desperation, but I'm gonna turn myself toward you and I'm gonna take baby steps to trusting you because your love for me never stops. Someone has put it this way, God's love is like an ocean. You can see its beginning, but not its end. Maybe you're here and you know, you've heard the message that God loves you. Maybe today you'll hear it for the first time, God loves you so much that he saw you in your sin, he sent Jesus as a love gift to you. Jesus died, was buried, and was raised so you could have forgiveness with God, new life in him. He can walk with you throughout life today. You can live out his kingdom values in your life today and then live with him forever. God sent Jesus to you and to me to be our Savior and our Lord all he asks of us is that we receive that love gift. And if you haven't received that love gift, I would just urge you to make this the day you do that. Right where you are, just invite him into your heart and life. Embrace his love gift to you. That love, you'll see the beginning of it today, but it will never end. It will never stop. I'll be out in the lobby if I can help you with this, answer any questions. Our care team and prayer team will be down front after the service. If you're online or in the room, you can text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen. And immediately we'll send you some resources. A member of our team will follow up with you. And 
We'll make sure you know what it means to have embraced the love gift of Jesus and that you then can walk in his unfailing love. It's okay to give God some space to work. You have to take the baby step and say, okay, I'm gonna trust you because of your unfailing love. Secondly, you trust him even when you don't feel like it because God's grip on you will never end. He says at the last part of verse five, my heart rejoices in your salvation. I, I rejoice in your rescue of me. Jesus said about us when we're his children that we are in his father's hand and in John 10 he said that no one and nothing and he uses the emphatic in the language there the most emphatic way possible in the new testament greek he says no one and nothing can pluck you out of my father's hand when you know jesus and you have his salvation you are in his grip and just as god's love for you will never stop god's grip on you will never end R.C. Sproul said, we are secure, not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because he holds tightly to us. You may be here and you say, I feel like I've done something to break off God's love for me. Man, I'm going through some circumstances. I don't know what I did, but somehow I feel like God has cut me off from his love. The Apostle Paul deals with that issue in Romans 8. He says, he says, I know it can feel like that. You can feel like God has lost his grip on you. You can feel like God's unfailing love has quit or given up on you. But then he says this in Romans 8, 34 to 39 about the continuous faithful love of God and the continuous faithful grip of God on his children. He says in Romans 8, 34 and 39, through 39 for the New Living Translation, Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and he is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced, Paul says, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen and amen. But maybe you have come here today feeling like you've done something or you must have done something because you do feel like God's forgotten you, that he's robbed you of, of blessings, that, that somehow your, your, your thoughts are so frantic, he must have abandoned you, and, and the sadness is so deep, and you feel like you're such a loser, and you feel like somehow you have been cut off from God's love. We've prepared this weekend, and we'll do it throughout the series, actually, that we have communion available in our prayer chapel, and the prayer chapel is right outside these doors and just the opposite side of the hallway from this wall where that flag is in the corner here. We've prepared communion. Pastor Gina Spivey and Pastor Brian Williams and some others will be there. You know, communion that we celebrated last week is a reminder of God's grace and his love toward us. And maybe for some of you, you personally have felt cut off from God's love in some way. Maybe you need to just slip in there after the service. 
and allow them to just share communion with you. It won't be a gathering of people, but as you come in, they'll serve it to you and they'll be there to pray with you. But if you feel like God's love has been cut off from you in some way, allow the reminders Jesus gave us of the Lord's Supper to to remind you of God's unfailing love and his grip that will never end. Just take some time after the service and slip in there just for a moment or two. They'll be there to pray with you. If you'd like to get connected to a pastor for counseling or even to professional Christian counseling, they'll be able to help you there. But the first baby steps we take in preparing a space for God to work in the midst of our struggle is to trust him even when you don't feel like it. Then praise him even when you don't want to. Some of you probably didn't want to come to church today. Some of you probably didn't want to turn on this broadcast or watch this video on YouTube or Facebook. Some of you probably even came in and just felt like this in worship. Praise is something we proactively do. Praise is something that needs to be intentional. It's a part of the baby steps. We're in that place of struggle and we feel overwhelmed. We take baby steps toward Jesus, not just in trusting him, but then in praising him, even when you don't want to. Recognize that God has not changed, even if your circumstances have. He says, I will sing the Lord's praise. He doesn't say, once you clean this mess up in my life, Lord, once you give me clarity of how I'm gonna get out of this, once you tell me when it's gonna end, then I'll praise you. No, he says, I'm gonna praise you. Because our praise is not based on our circumstances. What our circumstances are, our praise is based on who our God is. And the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we worship him and we praise him in the midst of the storm as we sang just a few moments ago. Why? Because he has not changed. Even if our circumstances have, we can praise him. And in our praising of him, even when we don't want to, God's spirit meets us in that moment and begins the hope and healing process. Secondly, acknowledge that God has been good to you. I've sat with people sometimes and or talked to people in the lobby and communicated by email. They'll, they'll tell me how terrible life is right now, how overwhelmed they are, and it's, it's so genuine and sincere, and people are hurting. I know that as a pastor. I know I hurt at times, and we all have hurt and pain in life, and they'll, they'll tell me about that, and I'll say, well, tell me the last time you recognized the blessing of God, and you're like, oh, God has never blessed me. <laughs> okay, wait, like never? Never, ever, in any form, shape, or any way has God ever blessed me. Sometimes the darkness of our turmoil can so cloud our vision that we can't even see a hint of it. And what he's saying here is, you praise God proactively. And as you praise God proactively, it will begin to open, open that light that he prayed for, bring light to my eyes. It'll give you those threads, those beams of hope that will come through. And part of that is acknowledging, yes, God, you have been good to me. Notice he starts out four times, how long, how long, how long? He's frustrated, he's desperate. But the whole psalm concludes as he acknowledges that God has been good to him. Acknowledge that God has been good to you even if you think he could have done more. Even if you think he could have done more, acknowledge where he has been good to you. And David in the midst of this simply says, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. He doesn't say, He's been good to me and I've never had a problem ever again. This is because he has been good to me. 
It's okay to give yourself some space to struggle, but then it's important to intentionally turn your face toward God and give God some space to work to bring those threads of hope into your experience of life. You trust him because his love will never fail. His grip, his grip is forever. He will never allow you to slip out of his grip or to be plucked by anyone or anything out of his grip. And then you choose to praise him recognizing that he is the same even if your circumstances have changed. Acknowledge, acknowledge that he's been good to you even if you think he could have done more. And in those moments, we open our hearts for the Holy Spirit to work and to begin to, to provide us with the process of hope and healing. As I said at the beginning, if you let him, God will meet you and sit with you in your deepest turmoil and he will give you glimpses of hope even before your turmoil ends. You must give yourself some space to struggle before you can give God some space to work. We need to give each other space to struggle before we can expect God to work. What we'll see in the Psalms is what we see here in Psalm 13, this first Psalm that just helps us know it's okay to not be okay. We'll see that how we view suffering and how we view God are linked. John Ortberg puts it this way, either my view of suffering will determine my view of God or my view of God will determine my experience of suffering. Some of you who look through your suffering at the world, you look at God through your suffering and you define him by your suffering. We need to turn that around as the psalmist does and we need to view our suffering through our view of our God. We've got to let our view of God and who he is shape our view of suffering, not the other way around. Let me ask you, are you giving yourself space to struggle and then giving God some space to work? Are you giving yourself some space to struggle and then giving God some space to work? It's okay to not be okay and give yourself some space to struggle, to express your frustration, your desperation. But then you have to choose to take baby steps spiritually to say it's okay for me not to be okay and give God space to work. And I'll do that by trusting him and praising him even in those small steps. Are you giving yourself some space to struggle and then giving God some space to work? This whole psalm is so, so much an emphasis on how long, O oh Lord, how long, O oh Lord, how long, O oh Lord, the Thirty Years' War that was fought between 1618 and 1648 in Europe was really a series of a bunch of wars, but it also was during a time of great plague and famine and pestilence. It was, it was a terrible time. And in the Thirty Years' War in Europe, over 90% of the nations fought in the war. Five to eight million people died, one-fifth of the population. Historians look back at the Thirty Years' War of the 17th century, and they call it the war that and they rem it's remembered as the time God abandoned Europe. It took 60 to 75 years for the population, landscape, and economy of Europe to return to pre-war conditions. It was such a devastating war. As I was researching the Thirty Years' War to use as a concluding story, I came across a writing about the war by our friend Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny writes, it was a terrible war that resulted in the deaths of over 20% of the German population, making it one of the most destructive conflicts in human history. Millions died, decimating Germany and causing plague and famine, which ravaged the entire region. The walled city of Eilenburg became the refuge for political and military fugitives 
but the result was overcrowding and deadly pestilence and famine. Armies overran the city entirely three times. Pastor Martin Rickhart did everything he could to show the love of Christ to the refugees who kept flooding through his city walls. His home was a shelter for the victims, even though he was often hard-pressed to provide for his own family. During the height of a severe plague in 1637, at the height of the 30 years war with 11 years yet to go in the war, Rinkert was the only surviving pastor in Eilenburg, and he conducted as many as 50 funerals in a day. He recorded them in his journal. He performed in 1637 more than 4,000 recorded funerals in that year as a pastor, including that of his own wife, and the funerals for two of his children. At last, in 1637, Martin Rinkert, of all the Christian leaders, was the only one left. It was a time of great despair and discouragement, but the Germans looked to Pastor Rinkert as their leader. People were amazed that he never fell ill, even while ministering to so many sick families and sick refugees. God was protecting him for such a time, because when the Swedes mustered outside the city gates, yes, I said the Swedes, the city gates demanding a huge ransom, Again, this is at the height of the Thirty Years' War. Martin Rinkert was the only one who rose the occasion. He left the safety of the city walls to walk outside and negotiate with the enemy. Johnny goes on to write, and he did it with such courage and faith that there was soon a conclusion to the hostilities, at least for Eilenburg at that time. Again, the war would continue for another 11 years. And the period of suffering subsided for that walled city. Out of that experience, in the midst of that suffering, with the war still raging, Pastor Rinkert wrote this hymn for the survivors of Eilenburg. And there is not a hint of abandoned woes me in the words, but only grace and gratitude as he chose to lead his people in praise in the midst of that mess. And the hymn goes like this. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices who wondrous things has done, in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. The great hymn, Now Thank We All Our God, was written almost 400 years ago in the middle of turmoil and desperation. Pastor Rinkert chose, in the midst of all that frustration and desperation, to turn his face toward God to take steps of trust and to lead his people in praise so that beams of hope from God could come into their hearts. Allow your own heart and mind just to think about these words and think about the power of praise in the midst of our hurt and our pain as Josh Green just sings that first stanza of Now Thank We All Our God. Now thank we all our God With hearts and hands and voices Who wondrous things has done In whom his world rejoices Yeah. Uh-huh. 
has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Would you, would you just bow your head and talk to the Lord for a moment? Maybe God has reminded you of something that's captured your frantic thinking or has been a deep sadness in your heart, maybe a feel of being abandoned by God or missing out on his blessing, maybe a feeling of defeat. Just talk to God and express your frustration and your desperation to him. Sit for a moment. Sit for a moment in your struggle. Let God hear your heart. Now purposely say to him, but God, but God, I will trust your unfailing love. I will sing your praises for you have been good to me. Give space for God to work, to bring those beams of hope and healing into your heart. But God, I will trust your unfailing love and rejoice in your salvation. I will sing praises to you, Lord, for you have been good to me. Remember that Pastor Brian Williams and Gina Spivey will be there in the prayer chapel for a time of communion and prayer with you. They can connect you with a pastor or a counselor. You can go there and just be reminded of God's unfailing love through the Lord's Supper. Father, I pray for those who perhaps right from the start of this message knew that thing that stuff that's been piling up in their lives, the turmoil they've been experiencing, the frustration, the despair. And I pray that you would work right now to help them know you love them and you always will, that you have them in your grip and there'll never be a day you won't. And Father, may they be able to take steps toward you even in praise, remembering that you have been good to them even if they think you could have done more. Pray for maybe folks who didn't immediately recognize some of the heaviness, but your spirit revealed that to them as we move through the message. Meet them in this moment. Teach us all to give ourselves space to struggle and others space to struggle. But help us not to be stuck there. Help us to move to that place where we give space for God to work, even with the baby steps we take toward him. Thank you for your goodness to us. Help us in this journey ahead to understand it's okay not to be okay. And that you are our God no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're feeling. And that we can trust you because you love us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.